you are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode 44. Hi everybody and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And today we are joined by uh, comic author Corey Levine, uh, who is the author of the new uh, book Bowery Boys from Dark Horse. So welcome, Corey. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm really pleased to be with you today. Yeah, we're uh, we're excited to have you. So, um, to you want to get us started here, tell tell us a little bit about about yourself. Uh, about myself, okay. Uh, I'd be happy to. Uh, I don't get that question that often. Most people just want to know about the book, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm a uh, a writer, uh, editor, and and graphic designer uh, by trade. Uh, currently, I write uh, comics, uh, and I teach uh, I teach graphic design classes at the New Hampshire Institute of Art in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, and uh, my background, I come from the publishing world. I uh, worked uh, for a long time for Marvel Comics uh, as an editor in the special projects department there. Yeah, you have very high praise on the cover of Bowery Boys from Mark Miller. Millar? I, th- I think he pronounces it Miller, um, uh, but yeah, the spelling is is a little confounding. But yeah, Mark was very generous. Uh, I was uh, his editor uh, briefly on his creator-owned Miller World uh, titles uh, on Superior and Kick-Ass 2 specifically. Uh, for a short time, um, I had that gig working for him, uh, and it was a real pleasure. It was a treat to be able to work on on those comics um and when the time came uh, i asked mark to look at my own work and he was uh you know incredibly gracious and very generous in giving a very uh, effusive and um somewhat uh exaggerated cover quote <laughs> but I'm, I'm grateful nonetheless uh for for mark uh his work and his guidance and his generosity yeah well, we'll uh we'll get to the bowery boys in just a second but i, I wanted to ask I noticed a lot of the the work that you you did at Marvel Editorial involved. I mean, you mentioned like special special projects, but like collected editions, omnibuses, trades, things like that. But you also had had some some work in there on on single issues. I, I was just kind of curious how how that that those uh, two aspects of the business kind of differ. You know, what what's it like working on one versus the other? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll try to. I'll give you a little bit of breakdown on that. So the special projects department at Marvel. Uh, is responsible for the collected editions, so the hard covers and soft covers, uh, you know, uh, reprint trade paperbacks of um, the monthly comics. In addition to that work, uh, the special projects department does all, you know, a variety of other, you know, quote unquote special projects. So the uh, official handbooks of the Marvel Universe come out of that department. Uh, I was responsible for a number of different special edition. Uh, magazines uh, that came out to celebrate various different aspects and anniversaries in the Marvel Universe. So there was a Captain America anniversary magazine that came out, you know, and and a lot of these things were tied around movie releases. So there was an X-Men First Class magazine that came out around the time that that film was released. Uh, They did a Women of Marvel special edition magazine. So these are more your kind of newsstand typical magazines that had... uh, had reprint content, reprint comics content, as well as uh, original articles and features from comics writers, um, uh, comics journalists, I should say, uh, you know, about, um, you know, comic books and comic book characters. Uh, And, you know, there are a handful of other things here and there. So 
Uh, my role there was, you know, was varied in that I did a lot of the collected editions. I was responsible for those reprints. Um, but I also overseed a number of these other uh, kind of one-off projects as well. Um, I also had the pleasure of uh, editing the uh, Soleil adaptations that Marvel did from the uh, French publisher Soleil. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. I was gonna say between the uh, the collected collected editions and, and some of the Soleil stuff, uh, I've got a number of of, of volumes that that uh, grace my shelves that you were involved with. Yeah, all right, great, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my involvement in them in them is, uh, you know, was fun for me, but fairly limited, uh, you know, in, in that way. Um, you know, I turned through a lot of books uh, during my time at Marvel, um, you know, with a, sort of a light touch on them, so. It's always uh, surprising to me when somebody recognizes my names from the credits because, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of people who are much more important to the creative process than I was. Uh, but, you know, I had my job and it was a good one. Can awesome. you Can you fill in a little bit more on the light touch? Because as, as the editor-in-chief of Therefore a Geek, I have a variety of writers that write for me. and Anything from people that have written for a couple of years and are really good and I just have to put in like a comma here and there to people that require a lot more of my involvement in the creative part of the process, as well as just like the um, copy editing. Um, what was your secret to churning through so many books? Uh, well, working with uh, established pros, uh, you know, working with talented folks. Uh, when I was editing, uh, you know, original written content, uh, like I said, I was working with comics journalists like um, Sean Collins and Kyle Fegley, uh, Val Dorazio, uh, people who had been around a long, uh, you know, a long time, uh, who had a lot of skill and talent and experience, and didn't really need me to, um, you know, get my hands too dirty uh, in editing their work. You know, they were they were kind of all over it. Uh, and likewise, uh, when I was editing collected editions, you know, my role was sort of to organize the content um, and to work with the graphic designer on the book. And again, you know, working with you know, great graphic designers who didn't really need uh, a ton of artistic direction. And also, quite to be quite honest with you, we were moving through so much work, and, and that um, department still moves through so much work, uh, that there really wasn't, we didn't really have the benefit of being able to uh, revise ad nauseum. So sort of, yeah. you know, we would ha really had to trust the people that we were working with to produce high quality work uh, so that we could keep the, keep the ship afloat, uh, keep that machine churning very cool yeah so obviously um the big reason we want we we've asked you to come on is is bowery boys which is your your project from dark horse yep. um so, so what is what is, what is bowery boys uh bowery boys is an original graphic novel uh from dark horse and it's a story about a group of kids uh i like to say growing up and getting beaten down on the streets of uh, the lower east side of manhattan uh, in the mid 19th century, so we're talking about New York City, 1850s. Uh, you know, the main thrust of it is about a labor union organizer uh, who's framed for a murder he didn't commit, and so the burden falls into his adolescent son uh, to try to clear his father's good name. Uh, that's sort of the the high level overview of it, anyhow. Yeah, and, and I got to say, Tracy and I both really enjoyed and enjoyed the book. We um we're both big fans of historical fiction and and history in general, and and I think. You did a, a really great job of of grabbing on to that uh, to that time and that place, and and just giving us some great great characters that are worth worth uh, investing your time into. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I, I appreciate you guys actually reading it. Um, you know, from time to time, I'll, I'll get on uh, these calls and, and people won't, will not have looked at it. But uh, thank you for actually giving it the time. And uh, thank you for the compliment. I, I'm glad we were able to achieve that um, and, you know, deliver a uh, engrossing and experience for you. So in, in general, what was the, the inspiration for the book? Where, what kind of where did, where did, where did this, this, this come from? Sure. Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. The inspiration for Bowery Boys uh, it came from sort of a variety of, of different places. Uh, but, you know, it was sort of an, the project was sort of initiated when I first saw my co-creator, Ian Bertram's uh, comic book artwork. Uh, you know, I had, I had had the, a friend of mine at Marvel uh, showed me Ian's samples. Uh, and the moment I saw him, I, I was really struck and knew I had to work with him. Um, you know, knew I wanted to work with him and, and you know, pursued that effort. So, you know, in, in talking to Ian, uh, as we started to establish our professional you know, relationship, our partnership together, uh, you know, it really was a question of, what would we want to do together? What would he want to draw? What would he be well suited for? Uh, and, you know, I had the notion that given his, uh, you know, finely detailed style uh, and the sort of cohesiveness and unity of his personal style, I felt like it was really well suited uh, for a period piece. Uh, I felt like he'd really be able to uh, capture, create and capture uh, a world, um, you know, that was not necessarily our own, but still, uh, <clears throat> you know, but would do so in such a full way uh, that it would really, you know, make a complete experience for the reader. And at the time I was living in New York City, uh, as, as is, uh, was Ian, Ian's also from New York, I was living in Queens and he was in Brooklyn. Um, and when you live in a place for a long enough period of time, as I'm sure you both probably experienced, you start to develop a, a relationship with that place. Uh, and, you know, to use the terms of relationships, uh, I was going through the process of uh, kind of falling out of love with uh, New York City. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was really feeling it pretty, pretty hard at the time. And I think, you know, for sure, Ian had his own. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he definitely had his own relationship with the city. And, uh, so that's something that we we found a lot of creative ground on talking about, and I think a lot of those uh, emotions are baked into the creative fabric of the book for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that sort of is a lot of where, um, you know, the idea of doing a period piece, of doing a story about New York City, um, you know, it's a lot of where that came from. That's really interesting that you're able to take your feelings for the modern day city, the city as it is now, and apply that to something that happened nearly 200 years ago. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, it's um, so much of what was happening then is still so relevant uh, to you know contemporary social issues. It's kind of uh, you know same shit, different day. It feels like a lot of the time, and and uh, you know on a day to day basis. Uh, for me, living in New York City certainly felt that way as well. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I hope it uh, feels uh, you know organic and not forced. Uh, but uh, yeah, we definitely uh, you know felt like there was a lot of parallels to be drawn. Uh, yeah. On there. Well, I know just a couple years ago, I worked in the shipping industry for a couple years, and just as little as two years ago, I think the end of 2013, they were threatening, maybe 2012, 
there was a the threat of a union strike that would shut down the terminals right in time for Christmas, and they were threatening to not deliver. I mean, obviously, Christmas is a big time for shipping, and mm-hmm. they were saying, "Look, you know, if you don't, if you don't make sure that we get, you know, the living wage that we need, or whatever the the beef was, um, there was the possibility that the entire East Coast would be shut down for uh, sea shipping, which was really interesting. You wouldn't think that that was still an option for unions <laughs> in New York City, but it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's really fascinating. You know, we we live in a we live in a fascinating time. Um, you know, it's a really compelling moment in history, uh, I think. Uh, and you know, it's it's interesting to to view it through uh you know through the lens of of what's come um, before us. Yeah, I, I also really like the fact that that you guys kind of picked to do the the period piece off of the art, mm-hmm. in particular. I think the art's very fitting of the the um of of the book in terms of you know it's it's very good art it's very well done it's not necessarily very pretty art mm. in terms of like the character i mean you've got some characters in there who who are are easily described as you know particularly ugly <laughs> yeah um absolutely. but they fit that time period so well and that they are they are they are exactly where they need to be in 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 the story and 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 in time, and it's really uh, kind of just a, like an interesting combination that worked out really, so well. Yeah, it creates a really cohesive book. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the first bits of reading I did was uh, an article as I started researching and uh, started working with Ian on on developing this idea. One of the first bits of reading I did was this article about um, the public sanitation system. Uh, in New York City uh, in the mid-19th century, or or lack thereof, really. So, you know, at the time, um, you know, the scenario was that uh, people just throw their waste and refuse out into the street. And, you know, the very idea of it, the very thought of, of this, um, you know, this metropolis congested with people and filth uh, and, you know, the the violence of the period and the, and the struggle and the strife, um, you know, I think really is, is really well suited to Ian and his style. And I, and I agree with you. I mean, you know, a lot of what Ian draws, they're ugly drawings, you know, they're ugly subjects, beautifully drawn, um, you know, and, and he's got such a, you know, for a, a young comics artist, he's got such a high level of skill uh, and knowledge that he's able to, uh, you know, lend, uh, you know, empathy to even these, uh, you know, very ugly characters who do horrible things. Uh, and I, I think that's a testament to Ian and, you know, the other artists on the book, Brent McKee, both of them, um, you know, really uh, are able to, you know, create a, an emotional entry point, um, you know, into these uh, really fucked up characters. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that, though. At least for some of the characters I found... Although they're doing horrible things, they're doing them for, at least from from their perspective, what are what are the right the right reasons? Um, and in particular, I think of of the rabbi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the rabbi, and this is part goes goes to the point, my point you, you, that you guys really nailed this this time period. You know, the rabbi. Yes, is there's a, a a decently strong Jewish community in New York even at the time. But they have to look out for themselves so much more than any other any other group, and that it's not that the rabbi 
isn't interested in helping uh isn't help interested in helping Nico but just that he can't it 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 interferes with his ability to to help his own people and so he has to turn his back right yeah absolutely you know it's really about survival and you know a few people have looked at the book and and kind of looked at some of the characters and the character designs and uh you know have have commented to me that you know they feel like uh you know especially with these jewish characters you know in their visual design uh and in some respects even in the storyline you know it's sort of sort of it's almost borderline racist uh you know almost borderline stereotypical portrayal of, of these characters um but you know it's it's meant to be it is meant to draw a direct connection to uh you know our stereotypes but also to these sort of the generic immigrant experience you know it's sort of not really about uh the irish and the jews um it's about immigrants uh you know it's about minorities uh and and i was and to be fair you know stereotypes while while typically negative are not necessarily unfounded and, and and they often have at least some level of basis in in other current reality or historical reality right Right, and uh, I, I would tend to agree with you. Uh, and you know, it's it's about uh, you know we really wanted to uh, shine the spotlight, like you said, on um, you know the motivation of these characters uh, and and sort of the fact that you know, and, and I really tried to craft a story where these characters were doing making the natural choice, making the only available choice, and yet still um, you know coming into conflict with one another. Uh, based on on that sort of uh, survival instinct. Well, it's also interesting that all of your characters equally come across come come up against this. Mm-hmm. Even the main characters, the protagonist, which one would assume is the good guy, um, turns out to be to have some dirty secrets of his own at the end, or at least sure. his son finds out. So these difficult decisions and the way that humans respond to them are portrayed kind of evenly across the board and the truth of the matter is when real humans are confronted with this kind of conundrum they often don't make the most moral or ethical choice they make the choice that best serves either their own interests or their own survival so i think that that was really well portrayed thank you thank you uh and agreed i mean there are no good guys and there are no bad guys um you know I, i wanted it to be um you know, realistic in that sense that we're, we're all operating, um, in, in the gray area, uh, regardless of, of what we believe, um, what, you know, how we're propped up by other people. Um, you know, nobody, nobody is all black or all white. Corey, you mentioned that you had, uh, had read an article to start and obviously I'm sure there were more to go. How much research, uh, did you actually put in, into the book uh, in, order, in order to get the right, the right feel? Sure. Um, I would say a lot. Uh, you know, it, we we definitely wanted to ground this while we're we're working with fictional characters and a fictional plot line. Uh, we wanted it to feel uh, real, uh, and so you know the research was was thorough. Um, you know, there were a, a number of texts. The primary text that we drew from um, <clears throat> the first uh, there were a few. Uh, first, I, I would point out would be. Uh, the book called Five Points uh, by a historian named Tyler Anbinder. Uh, I know that um, both myself and uh, Ian 
drew heavily from uh, Jacob Reese's photo journal, How the Other Half Lives. And while that came, uh, you know, later, that was closer to the turn of the century, uh, you know, it still offered, uh, you know, a very, uh, you know, you know, a, a window into uh, life on the Lower East Side uh, that we were able to extrapolate from. So, uh, you know, those were those were two major texts, uh, but um, you know, there were there were a, a, quite a few complementary texts along the way. Like I said, I was living in New York and had the benefit of uh, access to the New York Public Library system at the time, and um, you know, that was a, a great resource uh, in you know, developing this world. I was really impressed with your portrayals of individual cultures. Specifically, usually when you see the Jewish faith portrayed, you'll find someone slaps a yarmulke on and then calls it a day. Mm -hmm. But, and I realize that this is more the art and not so much the writing, but I'm sure that you had some input. Um, there was a very, very accurate portrayal of Jewish religious garments, the tefillin, the tallit. Um, there's one really great full page spread of Isaac uh, confronting the rabbi. Mm -hmm. And he's wearing the full ceremonial um, outfit. And I was just wondering where you draw most of the inspiration for that. What led to such a very accurate portrayal? Oh, thank you. Uh, that was, you know, based on my own experience, uh, you know, my, if you couldn't guess from my last name, I am a Jewish American. Uh, and, you know, I didn't grow up in a particularly uh, observant tradition, uh, but had uh, a lot of exposure uh, to, you know, the traditional elements. Uh, and, you know, hopefully was able to, you know, create an accurate portrayal and, and you know, working with the artists uh, we're not uh, Jewish, you know, I definitely gave them a lot of direction on that. Uh, and it was paramount to me that we were portraying, uh, you know, portraying the religion and, and you know, these aspects uh, as accurately uh, as we could. Um, you know, we didn't want to make, a, we certainly didn't want to make a mockery of it. Um, but, you know, through misrepresentation or through caricature. Um, so, you know, and it's, it's a, uh, it's a fine line to walk, especially, you know, when you're talking about portraying these characters in a cartooning style like Ian's. Um, but I, you know, I, I, we were trying to be uh, truthful and accurate um, and sensitive. Uh, and hopefully that comes across. Uh, you know, the last I'm, I'm still a little fearful that uh, somebody's going to look at it and um you know, call me out on it. But uh, I think I think we did an okay job. I I'm I'm proud of the work that we did. Yeah, I, I think you did a fantastic job. And I was very, very impressed. Thank you. So what made you choose this particular uh, time period? I, I, I'm personally kind of drawn to it. Um, I had mentioned when we, when we met in Baltimore, I actually went to college um, up in the, the northern part of the Bronx. Mm -hmm. It was what was a, a um, Army Fort at the time, uh, Fort Schuyler, during during that set, that same time period, the 1840s, 1860s, and um, you know, so I've kind of not not fully immersed, but I've I've found an interest in that that time period, um, and I think it's a really great time period because it's 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 one of those times where the kind of the foundations of what becomes modern New York City are just starting to get laid. Mm -hmm. You've got all the Tammany Hall stuff, but you're also 
moving away from that and moving to where New York is becoming a much bigger city and, and moving even more into the forefront of, of American society. And there are so many different time periods in New York to choose from that, that are, that are meaningful. I'm kind of curious, uh, why this one? Uh, it's a good question. It did, you know, in, in some ways it sort of came up, uh, organically, like I told you, uh, you know, some of the reading I did, um, it lent itself really well to Ian's style. Uh, as I started doing the research, uh, it kind of just sort of unfolded before me as this, um, you know, really this thematic gold mine, um, you know, where all these, these elements, um, you know, were playing out that just seemed so rich to me and, and seemed so relevant um, and vibrant. And it was also, it's a period that in comics, most especially, is largely unexplored. And as newer creators, you know, it's essential that for us that, you know, we, we make an effort to differentiate ourselves um, in our market. And, you know, this was uh, one of the ways that we, we chose to do it. So uh, it just kind of, uh, it, you know, it, it happened somewhat organically. But once I recognized what was there, um, it just it, it seemed like such a natural fit. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I hadn't really put a whole lot of thought into it and, and until you just mentioned it. Obviously, I, you know, in the last 30 seconds, I haven't put a whole lot, a lot of thought into it. <laughs> but um, but think, thinking about, like, comics, they really they really don't kind of pick up until the 1870s, 1880s in terms of, like, time periods. You know, or they, they go, like, the Old West and, and more modern, or they go, like, back, you know, Middle Ages fantasy kind of. But that... that you know, early American history from like pre-Civil War and, and and earlier, yeah, really doesn't get touched on all that often. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, it's um, you know, it's 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 a it's a period of history where we're between wars. You know, we're not uh, actively engaged. Um, so you know, and there's a long tradition of war comics, and, and the, you know, there's a you know, there's a developing tradition of um, historical uh, nonfiction in you know the comics and graphic novel world but um you know historical fiction uh for the most part especially in mainstream comics um or you know quote-unquote mainstream comics uh is you know kind of largely unexplored there's a, you know, there's a obviously there's a very large market for superheroes but you know beyond that sci-fi and horror certainly have their uh, established fan bases and you know, as, as I had indicated, you know, it's something that um, we wanted to do to uh, stand out. And, you know, but that's a double edged sword, because in, in one respect, sure, you're doing something that people other people aren't doing. But in the other, you're, you're also kind of swimming upstream, um, you know, and trying to uh, create your own market and uh, rather than chase, chase another that you know already exists. So most of the the protagonists in, in the story are adolescent you know uh 12 to 15 ish um a couple probably a little bit 15 probably a little high because then like isaac is getting ready for his bar mitzvah so that's he's 13 or getting ready to turn 13 yeah um so what appealed to you about having the 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 majority of the characters at least the focus of the characters uh, a focus on characters of that age group well, it's a you know a coming of age story, and it's a you know it's a, as you said before, it's a sort of a period where the city itself, 
the setting is coming of age along with you know the characters so you know there's certainly that those those parallels there um and you know it also struck me as you know that kind of adolescent um you know prepubescent uh time of life uh you know you're sort of growing in, in fits and starts uh it's a very um you know it it's a very painful moment in life uh, i think um you know because f- you have no no idea just no clue what's happening to you or you know why everything feels so difficult um and uh i i felt like that was certainly a you know a moment uh in a in a person's development that is ripe for for drama uh and for you know being uh externalized in this really uh in a in a pretty uh brutal uh plot uh plot line for for these these kids yeah i i noticed that um speaking of drama Mm. that each of the care each of the main adolescent characters in this book are disappointed by authority figures at some point Mm -hmm. during the plot was that intentional and if so why uh yeah that was definitely uh intentional uh and i think it was just uh, i'm not sure i could really place a, a a specific reason as to why I decided to write that uh, outside of, you know, maybe my own, you know, if, if we want to draw uh, comparisons to my own experience, my own personal experience, but I think we all uh, go through a period of, you know, being disappointed, um, you know, by authority figures or by our parents um, and, you know, kind of that coming to that recognition uh, of their humanity. Uh, and that's a really, um, you know, as far as coming of age is concerned, that's a really uh, uh, momentous um, milestone in uh, an adolescent's development, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, Corey, tell us a little bit about your uh, your writing process. Um, I've done a little bit of, of creative writing for the, the blog, and, and personally, um, I have to imbibe as much caffeine as physically possible and then write till my brain turns off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, which Tracy can attest to happens yeah. sometimes mid-sentence. <laughs> okay. Um, I was just kind of curious how how you go about writing, basically. Sure. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, it comes somewhat slowly for me, unfortunately. I would love to be more prolific. Uh, but I, uh, thus far, you know, have uh, really, you know, Bowery Boys is my... my l- largest project my most ambitious project to date and knowing that I was going to be you know knowing at at the jump off that I was going to be pursuing it as a comic uh, I knew I was going to be collaborating with somebody else and so uh, I really wanted to make sure that uh, it was a true collaboration uh, that they were involved in every step of the way um, and that I was writing something you know, for my collaborator specifically. I think, uh, you know, Matt Fraction has commented on it recently, you know, in, in writing for your artist, writing to your artist, um, and that, you know, it's it's a singular thing. I, I wouldn't um, have written Bowery Boys, uh, or surely wouldn't have written it the way I wrote it, uh, were it not for, um, you know, having a co-creator in it, having, uh, you know, Ian. So, um, we, we did a fair amount of, um, you know, meeting and kind of brainstorming, uh, at the, at the get go. Um, and then, 
you know, for me, it's kind of uh, just whittling away at it, uh, you know, and, and starting with uh, starting with an idea, uh, you know, the, the big uh, block of, of wood, uh, of, you know, shapeless, formless idea, uh, and then slowly chiseling away at it little by little uh, and narrowing it down, um, you know, from an idea uh, to an outline, you know, to, um, you know, your, your character arcs, your plot, um, your setting and so on and so forth. And then actually, you know, getting into scripting it. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the, my personal approach to it is, uh, starting big and, uh, you know, slowly and methodically, um, you know, chipping away until it starts to look like a story. It's interesting. You talk about collaboration, and and several other creators we've had on have also really talked about collaboration, and it it's nice to see that I think really kind of come back to comics. Um, you know, you look back in like the old the old days. I mean, all, you look all the way back, but also I mean, like you know, the Silver Age and the, the kind of Marvels, all of Marvel's big titles. A lot of them were with the Stanley Jack Kirby or, or Stanley uh, Steve Ditko mm-hmm. collaborations, and then I think there was a point where we kind of, we kind of got away from that. We got more into individual personalities, especially like the nineties. And you get kind of some of the, um, uh, Rob Liefeld kind of mm. cult of personality people. Mm. And then th- there really has been more of a move back to collaboration on these books that, that, that this is more than just, you know, here's my part and here's your part. This is, this is our work together. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's given us a lot stronger books, a lot stronger stories. Yes, it's an interesting perspective. I mean, I think a lot of that stuff, it's all just marketing, uh, you know, which is, you know, irrespective of the actual creation. Uh, I think, you know, depending on what you want to look at, I mean, you you still see a lot of singular creators, people writing and drawing their own stuff, you know, cartoonists working in the, you know, the world of, you know, quote unquote, literary comics or indie comics or comics with an X, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so you, you still see a fair amount of that, but I, I guess you know if we're if we want to isolate it to the the world of the mainstream comics, that you know the the Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, IDW, um, Image type of uh, you know that that particular segment of the industry, uh, I, I would tend to agree with you that the, you know the collaboration is is um, you know moving to the forefront. Uh, you know. I, you, I see, you know, you see a fair amount of artists uh, comment, you know, to this day that, you know, writers uh, get more of the spotlight or, or that the artist doesn't get their fair share. Um, you know, and I, and I definitely can sympathize with that. Uh, it's, you know, the art is the hard part. Uh, it's harder to draw a comics page than it is to write a comics page. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be the first person to agree to that. Uh, that notion. Um, but I do agree with you that it's certainly, um, I think the market is more responsive now to, uh, you know, a collaborative team as opposed to an individual. Yeah. Speaking of collaboration, I noticed a lot of subtext in the Bowery boys specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, there's, um, what I interpreted as a three way between Welch Bisbee and the Catherine character. Mm-hmm. 
did you write that or did Ian write that? Or was that kind of an understanding that you would have together? Bisbee also being, I think, um, I believe he was a union deserter. Um, but uh, again, that was sort of in the, in the subtext, not in the actual. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bisbee, uh, his backstory definitely has him being a military deserter. Uh, and yes, there are, you know, very clear, um, you know, we're not especially subtle about the, you know, the implied uh, sexual scenarios and, uh, you know, kind of relationships between characters that happen off panel. So, yes, that, that is an accurate reading. To, to answer your question with respect to, you know, is that in the script? Is that from the writer? Is that from the artist? It's actually a little bit of both, uh, to be honest with you. So there, there are scenarios in the book and things that happen that, um, you know, are, are uh, in the scripts. And then, you know, Ian did uh, and, and Brent, you know, it's the nature of their art to take liberties uh, and to, um, you know, uh, as, you know it, it, by necessity, they, they're they're what's establishing the relationships visually between characters. So, um, you know, I definitely, uh, leaned on, on the two of them, uh, to, uh, to embellish and to bolster those, uh, you know, those relationships on the page. That's awesome. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, you know, they both are very good at what they do. Uh, and, uh, you know, super talented guys, uh, really, who really did a fantastic job, uh, you know, bringing the characters to life and making those relationships sing on the page. Uh, and, you know, I, they, they make me look very good. So I'm, I'm very grateful to have worked with the two of them. It was a very, very smooth portrayal. Um, and in fact, it was so subtle that I almost missed it. Good. But definitely <laughs> there. Good. So when you, when you write a, your story, do you tend to build it around a, a, a large kind of structure are you you know do you do you draft and um outline and things like that um or do you kind of just kind of start with characters and kind of let them go wherever they want um kind of like a like a george r, r. martin who kind of just he kind of refers to it as a gardener kind of plant seeds and see what see what grows that's an interesting analogy uh i uh i try to keep it pretty structured um, you know, I, I sort of, as I develop the characters in my mind and, and on paper, uh, you know, they sort of, I think the characters sort of tell, tell me where they need to go or with respect to their, their arcs, uh, their individual arcs. And, and, you know, uh, this, you know, it, it, I get the feeling that, uh, you know, this character needs to develop in a specific way and what change changes the character needs to go through, through the, throughout the course of story, um, and then I do my best to, you know, align that to a, uh, a plot structure that makes some kind of sense um, and, uh, you know, and, and try to make all those characters and their respective changes and growth, um, you know, fit into, uh, fit into the, you know, into the plot. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, for me, in, in my mind, it's a bit like uh, a jigsaw puzzle, you know, putting the right right pieces in the right in the right places nice so obviously now being being a writer this is kind of the more creative aspect of things but you've also spent a, a significant portion of your career like we talked about on the editorial side mm -hmm. how, how is it how is how does it feel to be on this side now how what's kind of how is it different uh it's well it's a lot different uh you know it, it's great uh this is 
um, I think, the right thing for me. Uh, it took me a really long time uh, to come around to the idea of being a creative professional. Uh, you know, I think, like a lot of folks, uh, you know, I grew up in a home where, uh, you know, the ideal was be a doctor, a lawyer, um, you know, a podiatrist or something uh, stable and reliable. And, um, you know, I always kind of had a creative inclination, but never fostered it in a, in a substantial way uh, until my late 20s uh, when I was working for Marvel uh, and, you know, saw a lot of comics come across my desk. And, uh, you know, Marvel puts out a lot of really wonderful comics, but they put out a lot of comics. You know, they're not all going to be hits. And I saw a lot of pretty lousy ones come across my desk and, um, you know, had the feeling that uh, I could do that, um, you know, that the, the barrier of entry uh, wasn't so high uh, if, you know, some of this stuff was making it through to print and uh, ultimately decided, you know, to put up or shut up. And, um, and that's kind of led me, you know, on this sort of, on this journey. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm still working at it i'm uh, you know bowery boys isn't paying my mortgage payment every month to be quite frank with you so uh but i love doing it and uh it's it's for me it's much more gratifying uh and and you know much more satisfying you know as as it's also much more difficult uh if if i'm being honest it you know sort of uh was an incredible challenge to produce the book uh but you know, nothing uh, in my life has given me the same feeling. So, um, you know, I'll do it again and, and again and again until um, till I can't anymore. I think it takes a very special type of person to be able to put a creative work, because you really put yourself on the line when you put a creative work um, on the market for other people to look at, to critique. And I think it takes a very, very special type of person to be willing to do that over and over. Yeah, it's it's not easy, uh, and uh, you know I think um, I I don't know that it takes a special I don't know that I agree it takes a special type of person, but it takes a sort of it takes a, a special set of circumstances to put any individual person in the position to do that. Um, you know, to make that choice, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, to, to a certain extent, we all have some, some degree of creative energy. And I, I don't think that makes people necessarily special, but so much of our, uh, you know, of so much of the world around us, um, you know, n not necessarily by design, but, uh, does sort of seem to beat it out of us or, or keep us from uh, embracing it uh, in a in a full and committed way uh, and I think that's kind of the the special part is um, when you are able to to do that um, you know and I think that's just a matter of circumstance or or will well I was just gonna say that you know it is certainly not unheard of for people to come from editorial into writing um, off the top of my head, Louise Simonson comes to mind, mm -hmm. who was, you know, Cl uh, Chris Claremont's editor for a long time, and then started writing several of the uh, the X titles herself. Yeah, and a lot of my friends, uh, you know, a lot of the people I know 
from my time at Marvel have gone on to create. I think, you know, there are, I think a, a lot of what leads you to be at a place like Marvel is some degree of creative drive, you know, at least at the very least an interest in being around it. Um, and I think many of those folks have aspirations to, to create themselves. Um, you know, so many of, of the people I work with have gone on and, uh, you know, to publish comics and other work, uh, you know, people I worked with like John Barber, um, who writes Transformers versus G.I. Joe uh, for ID and edits for IDW. Um, and that's a, a magnificent book um, that blows my mind every time I look at it. You know, Andy Schmidt uh, is another friend from Marvel who's gone on uh, to write comics and he's created the Comics Experience, which is, a, you know, a, a sort of a comics a online comics academy. Uh, he he also used to do a um, a podcast with iFanboy about uh, making comics. That was always, I always thought was a really fascinating uh, listen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Aubrey Citizen is a close friend who's uh, done comics and uh, is the uh, creator of a couple of really popular podcasts: um, Straight Shoot, which is a wrestling podcast, and um, and a podcast called Scald, uh, which uh, I, I'm. I'm in love with. Um, so, and you know, my friend, uh, I could go, I could go on for, for a while. Uh, one more I'll throw in there is a friend, Will Panzo, uh, who uh, is another former editor at Marvel who sold uh, a novel uh, to a major publisher that we'll be seeing soon. So just, you know, there's so much creative energy coming out of these publishers and it's kind of almost a, in some respects, it's a shame uh, that there isn't a better outlet for them you know, within these corporations that, you know, we have to kind of leave before you can really uh, start to carve out your niche in the world there. So are there, uh, are there any, any stories um, that you have not yet written, uh, but you're really, really wanting to tell that kind of on the, what's kind of, what's coming, what do you have next in, in mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, there are stories. There's loads of stories I love to tell. Um, I don't have anything I can really announce or, you know, or, or speak uh, about at the moment. Uh, it's all sort of kind of in development type stuff. And, um, you know, but getting Bowery Boys out there has uh, really helped, uh, you know, and, and uh, helped me establish new creative relationships and new partnerships with people. Um in the comics world uh, and outside of the comics world, so uh, we're definitely you know I'm, I'm with with my you know new friends and partners and collaborators. Um, you know we're we're developing new projects for a variety of different media, um, so that's super exciting. Um, and you know as far as Bowery Boys is concerned, it, while the book is self-contained uh, and and I hope uh, leaves a you know the the reading experience ends with a, a satisfying conclusion. Um, you know, they're definitely, I definitely have a lot more stories I'd like to tell with those characters and, uh, God willing, I'll have the opportunity. Uh, hopefully we move a bunch of them and, and people really respond to it and, uh, you know, find it in the world. Uh, and I'd love to love to do more volumes of Bowery boys if, um, you know, that opportunity is available. But, uh, so I don't know, that's, that's sort of a sort of dancing around the question, but, uh, I don't. I don't have anything I can really share with you at the moment. So, so what you're saying though is we should keep keep our eyes peeled for for what you've got coming next. Please do. Um, I would be uh, delighted. 
That's fantastic. I was actually, that was one of my questions was, will we see Nico and Isaac again and Daisy and the rest of the group? Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, if people buy the book, yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, um, you know, that's the sort of thing that it comes down to at this point, you know, the, the creative effort is one thing. Um, the sales effort is, is a very different thing. Uh, and so, you know, at the, you know, the book's got to move, people have to find it and, uh, and they got to enjoy it. Um, and we try to create something that they will. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll be able to do that and do some more of that. All right. Well, Corey, I wanted to, want to thank you for coming on and, uh, and talking with us for a little bit. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, it's been great to, uh, chat with you guys and, and, uh, you know, share some info about the process in the book. Thank you. Well, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforeageek.com where you can find our blog posts and our podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Twitter. Uh, kill me. Kill myself here. Uh, you can also find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes and Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. And once again, Corey, thank you for coming on. Thank you, guys. So I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And you have been listening to Therefore I Geek.